this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another episode of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampat most of us are familiar with the plastic waste crisis and public awareness campaigns on the need to recycle plastic Now a new report by the Center for Climate Integrity an international non-profit says that plastic producers have been lying to the public for more than 30 years it says that they knew all along that plastic recycling was not a viable solution at all either technically or economically and yet they kept promoting it to protect their own interests so how serious is the plastic waste problem today and why is plastic recycling not viable and if recycling is not the answer how do we address the mounting crisis of plastic waste around the globe we discuss all these questions in great detail in this episode of in focus and we have with us satyarupa shekhar a public policy advocate whose interests include urban governance data justice and plastics pollution satyarupa welcome to in focus and thank you so much for joining us thank you sampath thanks for having me So uh to start with I was wondering uh you know plastic waste is generally seen as a subset of the global solid waste problem so can you just uh, give us a quick overview of the real magnitude of this plastic waste crisis how serious is it uh, in your opinion um so the plastic pollution crisis uh is something that we cannot ignore any longer Uh, the world creates about uh, uh, 460 metric tons of plastic and uh, more than 350 metric tons of this ends up as plastic waste uh, plastics has uh, a direct impact on climate uh, one can one um, uh, estimate is that about 4% of global greenhouse gas emissions are directly related to plastic production uh, processes So what we are seeing is actually the plastic crisis um is uh, enormous in its magnitude not just in the climate um uh, you know in the in the greenhouse gas emissions but also in the ability of the planet to uh, manage uh, this so one of the ways in which plastic uh, hampers you know uh, the planetary processes is that it impedes the ability of oceans which are are currently the most uh, you know significant carbon sink it impedes the ability of oceans to sequester carbon it has uh, enormous impacts on wildlife uh, which uh, you know in- ingest plastic and of course you know it is undeniable the science that human beings are ingesting inhaling uh, plastics and the skin is uh, able to even absorb uh, nanoparticles Right, I mean, human beings are able to inhale. Uh, how does it happen? When? How do we inhale plastic? Uh, so there's uh, a lot of microplastics and nanoplastics uh, in the air. Uh, it's in our water. It's in our food. Um, so you'd be uh, shocked to know that uh, sugar, salt, honey, uh, even beer um, has uh, tiny, uh, you know, particles of plastic. um there are some these are mostly unintentionally added uh, you know uh, they sort of contaminate our food systems but also there are intentionally added uh, plastics so for example some of our toothpaste our detergents 
uh, actually contain these small granules, which are, uh, you know, marketed to us as exfoliators or dirt busters. And uh, all of this, uh, you know, we sort of um, uh, unknowingly uh, and unwittingly, we fall for these um, marketing schemes and then we ingest these things. And they have harmful effects on our health and so on? Absolutely. So basically, plastics are uh, fossil fuels. You know, 99% of plastics are made from fossil fuels. And this is oil, gas um, and coal. And what we are seeing is that to make plastics, you need uh, several kinds of chemicals. The latest estimate is that there are 16,000 chemicals that are added to make plastics. And these chemicals are important or necessary to make the plastics because that is what gives it, um, you know, the shape or um, uh, properties like for color or even flame retardants. Now, these uh, chemicals, many of them have already been established to have, um, uh, you know, major health impacts. Many of them are carcinogenic. Um, in fact, uh, very recently, there has been an uh, article or an expose on um, a specific chemical called uh, 1.4 dioxane. And this is actually used in the production of uh, uh, poly, uh, polyester. So a lot of our clothes, for example, and uh, as well as PET. And PET is something that is used typically for beverage bottles. Now, it's not in these uh, products, but it's used to produce these products. And then it remains, right? So when we are uh, using many of these products, we're actually ingesting these chemicals. And some of the health impacts that have already been um, sort of linked to this are cancers, reproductive health problems. So, uh, you know, people are expect, uh, experiencing already infertility and miscarriages. Um, there are um, hormonal uh, disruptions, uh, you know, caused by endocrine disruptors and a whole host of gastrointestinal and uh, respiratory illnesses. Right. I mean, uh, thank you for explaining uh, the, the seriousness of plastic consumption and ingestion and with regard to the human health, Satyuruga. I was just wondering, there is also a lot of uh, food-grade plastic, as they say, which they produce, which is promoted as uh, not harmful at all. So, like for water bottles and so on. So, what do you have to say about this food-grade plastic, quote-unquote? Is that safe? Well, you know, <laughs> I guess one would say they are relatively safer than some of the other kinds of plastics, but they're not entirely safe. Uh, so polystyrene, which is basically, um, uh, you know, what we call typically thermocol or styrofoam, uh, in which a lot of hot food uh, is served, uh, it's, uh, it basically leaches a lot of the chemicals into the food. Hot food, of course, um, is worse. Uh, you know, it gets impacted even worse. Uh, plastics also... Um, uh, react to a lot of the oils and masalas that we have. So we are seeing that the uh, chemicals then leach into our food, into our water. And even when they are disposed, uh, you know, whether it's in an open uh, dump site or in a cement kiln or in an incinerator, these chemicals tend to stay on. They leach into our water, into the air um, and uh, into the soil. And from that, we then see it coming back into our food system. So, for example, mulch sheets that are used for um, agriculture practices, those are very hard to retrieve. And what happens is that they disintegrate very quickly and are just sort of plowed back into the soil. 
there there are some recent um, uh, scientific studies that show that plants and fruits and vegetables are able to actually absorb a lot of these chemicals through their roots. You know, so um, things that we consider very healthy to eat, uh, like apples and carrots, actually are already absorbing a lot of these chemicals. And of course, we have absorbed, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these chemicals from that. There's also evidence that plastics um, are, and the chemicals in plastics are affecting whether they're chicken or fish. Uh, there's this entire web, uh, and then there's a persistence uh, that remains. This is called bioaccumulation. Um, it basically just remains in the food systems, and then uh, you know we keep we 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 are perpetuating um, the impacts. Um, some of these impacts actually are already established to be even intergenerational, which means today, as a, a woman in a reproductive age, I could be exposing a child or even the child's child. Right. I mean that really is uh, quite concerning, if not uh, outright scary. Uh, especially, you know, intergenerational aspect you just mentioned. Now, going on to the other side of uh, this entire uh, subject, Satya Rupa, this, uh, this question of disposal. Uh, recycling has been promoted as, as as the key solution to disposing of plastic waste, so to speak. But now it turns out that it isn't uh, the solution it was made out to be. Can you talk a little bit about why recycling plastic is not viable anymore? Why, why is it, well, maybe it was never viable and we were lied to, but what is the issue with recycling plastic? Uh, so you're absolutely right, Sampak. We've been always lied to. And uh, the perpetuation of this myth, uh, what we're calling the recycling myth, um, this has been perpetuated by the petrochemical companies, the oil and gas companies, and other companies within the plastics industry. Um, this is a, a concerted effort by uh, most of the major both the petrochemical uh, industry, basically, since the 1950s. And this can be really traced back to the US, where they've undertaken systematic uh, efforts to create a public perception that plastics are recyclable. Um, moreover, they've undermined legislations. There have been some attempts to bring in progressive uh, legislations like bans or even elimination of certain materials. These have been uh, undermined and uh, you know, many uh, city governments in the U.S. were forced to withdraw or uh, dilute uh, these legislations. Um, very close to home in India, we are seeing a lot of dilutions in some progressive legislations. So, for example, the solid waste management rules, or very specifically the plastic waste management rules, had a clause that said that, um, you know, in 2016, uh, the clause said that, uh, you know, multilayered packaging, uh, which is basically sachets and various kinds of flexibles, would be eliminated by 2018. Uh, but thanks to a lot of the industry lobbying, what we're seeing is that the 2018 amendment of this legislation uh, basically said that, uh, you know, energy recovery is an acceptable um, uh, method of disposal. And energy recovery basically uh, has, you know, they've gone further to say that waste to energy or incineration um, uh, which means basically you can burn it in a cement kiln or a waste to energy plant or an incinerator, and that is acceptable as recycling. So what we're seeing is basically the, the changes in definitions um, that are perpetuating this myth. And behind this is basically the industry that has been undertaking decades of um, campaigns 
to uh, influence, uh, you know, both consumer perception as well as the information that policymakers uh, have. What we are seeing is that the industry has also uh, restricted information about what kinds of chemicals go into making plastics. And this is why over the past uh, two years or so, we are seeing that the estimates of what kinds of chemicals are actually present and used in plastic has been increasing. So it started with about uh, 10,000 chemicals in 2021 or 22, and then it has now come to um, 16,000 chemicals as of November 2023. This means that the onus of actually identifying what kinds of chemicals are being used lies on scientists, really, rather than the industry that is actually making the active decision to, to make those kinds of plastics and to use certain kinds of chemicals to make those plastics. Right. I mean, uh, you spoke uh, about this incineration uh, as uh, as something which is sort of uh, reclassified as recycling. Now, mm-hmm. forget about uh, how we understand uh, incineration as a as a as a solution to this plastic waste problem. But assuming we call it as incineration and not consider it as recycling, is that a way forward in terms of uh, eliminating plastic uh, waste? Is that a viable solution? This waste to energy option, as it were. Um, so waste to energy is basically, uh, you know, the process of um, uh, sort of, it's basically uh, burning uh, plastic. Uh, but burning plastic that's been made from fossil fuel and saying that that would uh, be better for the climate than burning any other kinds of fossil fuels is really um, a fairly absurd idea, right? Um, you know, if you just burn something uh, that's been made from fossil fuels, we are going to be adding uh, to the greenhouse gases uh and impacting the climate. But what is worse is that the plastics actually contain a lot of these other chemicals that are then released into the air, water and soil, um, as I said. Um, You know, it's not just a problem of the definition of recycling, but uh, it's actually technically and economically not feasible. And this is something that the industry has found out for themselves since the 1950s or even earlier. Uh, what we what the problem is is that you need exactly the same kinds of polymers to be processed together, whether it's uh, mechanical recycling or uh, what the uh, industry calls advanced recycling, which is basically chemical recycling. Uh, you need the same kinds of plastics. Even a change in the color of plastics impacts or lowers the ability of um, the plastic to get recycled. Right. So, for example, you cannot recycle a PET bottle along with a sachet, a multi-layered package, right? A plastic package. Um, these have to be extremely well sorted out, uh, you know, down to the material, to the color, etc. These cannot be contaminated by, you know, say food items or um, uh, any any other sort of oil or grease, etc. So it's technically actually also um, sort of just unviable and economically unfeasible as well. Um, We are seeing a lot of announcements, and we have been seeing for decades, the same industries making announcements of setting up uh, recycling units. There are several articles by uh, the Global Alliance for Incinerator Alternatives or um, even Greenpeace International that have actually undertaken an investigation of how many incinerators are actually operational and even, um, you know, sort of doing any form of recycling. Uh, One of the best examples of the failure of uh, such an effort, I would say, is Unilever's Creosolve project in Indonesia, 
where they claimed that they were going to recycle sachets, which are multi-layered plastic packaging. Um, And they basically use, uh, you know, Unilever uses sachets all across Asia to sell anything from um, shampoos to sauces to face creams, etc. And after, um, you know, billions of dollars, they quietly closed that project in Indonesia. Um, And it's, it's basically been declared a failure. Right. So it's the industry's own uh, narrative that recycling actually does not work. Right. I mean, uh, thank you for explaining uh, this whole uh, incinerator slash recycling uh, debate in some details. I was just wondering, but even even so, we keep hearing uh, from now on time and again, some data being put out saying X percentage of plastic which is produced is recycled. And, you know, they, you do get like, you know, branded advertisements saying this is made from recycled plastic and all. So there has been some recycling which has been happening, right? I mean, whether rightly or wrongly, we do get recycled plastic uh, in our way so like w- what happens to this recycled plastic like you know like so is there is there some kind of uh, headway being made in terms of a solution with plastic which is nonetheless being re- recycled um so since uh, the 1950s of all of the plastic that has been created i think the best estimate is that 9% has been recycled as of date and uh, for a country like the U.S., where, um, you know, a lot more money has been spent on, quote unquote, recycling plastic packaging, um, this estimate has been revised down to five to six percent. Right. So what we are seeing is actually the industry conflating words like recycled, recycling, recyclable. Right. Uh, and one may say that these are just semantics, but this is where I think the the deception really lies. Uh, calling something recyclable is not the same thing as saying that this has been recycled or that recycled material has been used for making something. Um, that's the numbers. The other is what do we really call recycling? Um, there is a European Union directive that says that recycling really is if the material or if the product can be uh, made into a material that is then used to make the same product, right? Which means that, for example, a pet bottle would be then made back into a pet bottle. However, what we are seeing in general is that a pet bottle is then made into polyester yarn, which is then made into a carpet. And that is not called recycling, really. That is downcycling. Uh, And even so, even if you count all of that in, we're still saying that only 9% of the total plastics has really been uh, recycled. All of the rest is either lying in our oceans or in our landfills, or about, uh, I think, 20%, I think that's the statistic, 20 to 20%, uh, 22%, sorry, has been incinerated. Um, so, you know, that's, I think the numbers basically speak for itself. Um, all of the others, I think, are very deceptive, um, you know, communications campaigns. And uh, one only really needs to look at uh, the annual uh, financial statements of many of these companies to see that their PR budget or their marketing budget far, far outweighs uh, how much they're spending on research and development. Even if any one of these companies was really serious to set up a recycling unit or even transition to a reuse system, the numbers actually, you know, the money, they're not putting the money where the money is. Right. I mean, 5% or 9% of uh, plastics getting recycled is really, I mean, astounding to Absolutely. that figure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was also wondering, uh, Satyurupa, so you were talking about uh, 
this recycling versus downcycling. I mean, I, I didn't know this distinction, you know. I mean, I, I had assumed that recycling of plastic would mean that it is getting used in some way again. So the distinction between, say, a, a peat bottle, PET bottle getting made into uh, a yarn, as you said, to make carpets versus PET bottle getting made into a PET bottle again. I mean, this uh, this kind of distinction, I think not many people know about it. So let's say I buy, uh, I mean, we travel, you know, a lot these days, everybody does. So you buy a bisleri bottle or some mineral water bottle and then you use, you finish it off. And then that bottle which you throw into the bin, I mean, or you keep it away and uh, you, or you keep it with yourself and then you give it to some recycling person or whatever. So what happens to that bottle really? A mineral water bottle, everybody uses plastic uh, mineral water bottles and you throw it away. We assume it is getting recycled, right? But what 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 really happens? Can you throw some light on that? Um, so basically, what's happening with uh, a lot of this material is that um, you know our municipal systems uh, are now sort of geared to collect and to transport it either to a, um, a landfill or in some places there is some segregation that's happening. However, most of this in India, um, you know, can be attributed to informal waste pickers, the informal waste sector that's actually collecting a lot of this. Unfortunately, and on a side note, we actually keep criminalizing uh, waste pickers and they continue to operate on the margins, both economically and uh, socially. However, this material basically uh, that they collect, they segregate. Uh, they have an incredible, uh, you know, knowledge that they've established of or, and developed over years and decades of what kinds of plastic. All of this then keeps getting aggregated. It's taken to certain kinds of quote-unquote recyclers because I think the process of recycling is something that uh, is still also happening a lot. Um, a lot of that is happening informally. Wh what happens is a lot of this is uh, you know put through some form of thermal treatment, and uh, it's either pressed into say um, you know bricks or pavement blocks or boards. Uh, that are used to make various kinds of either buildings or desks, etc. Right, and these are being promoted by Unilever, Nestle, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, uh, in partnership with UNDP uh, in, in 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 India, for example. Um, something like PET bottles, uh, which has a higher value. Um, the higher value is because there is a, a certain demand for this product, right? So it goes into say a textile factory. Uh, it goes into making yarn. And uh, there are some, I think, claims, and I, I personally am not sure how to verify these. Um, they are being used to make, say, sports shoes or out outdoor, um, you know, gear, um, and mostly carpets or text, uh, you know, uh, astroturf, right? Um, these, this is very few uh, uh, sort of examples. We really don't know how much they are operating on scale. However, what we do know are all sorts of other uh, examples that are being promoted and pushed as recycled, right? So what we are seeing is the government of India and various state governments saying that plastic roads is a form of recycling, which is basically what they're saying is that they sort of add that into the bitumen, they melt it to a certain degree, and then they use it to make roads. But how many such kilometers really exist in India, let alone the world, right? Um, plastic to fuel is very obvious. If you burn something that's been made from fossil fuels, you'll get fossil uh, fossil fuels, but you'll also get all of the chemicals that went into it. So I think all of this is actually being clubbed as recycling. And, and I think there's very little uh, evidence 
to show either scale or replicability right scale and replicability i think two uh, really good litmus tests we can apply to this entire uh, recycling uh, claim that we have been talking about now you also uh, spoke a little bit about the greenhouse gas emissions uh, aspect of this whole problem when I mean, plastics are uh, part of the petrochemical industry I mean, they come from fossil fuels can you talk a little bit about uh, what exactly is the link between plastic uh, produce production and waste and climate change because climate change is the big global issue today and what exactly is the nature of the relationship between these two right so um plastic um is basically made from fossil fuels and uh, a whole bunch of other chemicals which are also um, many of which are also coming from the same petrochemical industry what we're seeing is that plastics even though they begin as fossil fuel they are emitting greenhouse gases at each stage of that uh, of its lifespan uh, or actually what we should be calling a death uh, cycle uh, right from the fossil fuel extraction and the transport of the fossil fuels we're seeing greenhouse gas emissions plastic uh, you know the polymerization the refining and manufacture of plastics we have uh, lots of greenhouse gas emissions managing plastic waste um Uh, whether it's through incineration or whether you know they're disposed um, and leak into our environment with whether it's oceans waterways or uh, on our in a landscape all of that has greenhouse gas contributions and these sort of gas uh, emissions many of which uh, are very hard to uh, estimate right uh, but we basically have um, uh, some estimates that um, you know in 2019 alone um the production and incineration of plastics was uh, about 850 million metric tons of greenhouse gases and this is now equivalent to 189 uh, coal power plants of 500 megawatts right this is the scale at which we're talking about uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions from plastics alone right i mean that is indeed a staggering uh, number so uh, given that this is this is the magnitude of uh, the impact on climate which plastic production and waste generation has uh, which are the industries or use cases uh, that are the leading producers of uh, plastic uh, waste because i think they would need to be held accountable for this absolutely um so packaging um accounts for 36 percent by some estimates and i think this is a 2019 estimate or 2020 estimate so one can say that uh, you know this is a it might have increased textiles uh, account for about 15% uh, of all the plastics used building and construction uh, accounts for 16% and uh, this is something that uh, you know we are really not aware of is how much plastics actually goes into building and construction um, we of course have you know all of these electrical um, Uh, switches etc but also we'll be talking about insulation uh, whether it's thermal insulation acoustic insulation um, pvc pipes right pvc is uh, the worst form of plastic um, all of these chlorides uh, that are added are extremely harmful um, uh, it's a very harmful body of chemicals group of chemicals um, so these are primarily the top well i would say the top 3 sectors uh, packaging uh construction and uh, textiles uh we also have consumer products that account for about 10% and then we have electronics transportation etc cetera, etc cetera. 
right? But uh, really, it's uh, packaging and mostly it's single-use packaging. Uh, so we're talking about products uh, that have been designed to be intentionally used only once. Whether it's a pet bottle, whether it's um, a chips packet, uh, these are designed to be used only once. It's a different matter that some some of us have been using the same plastic bottle multiple times, but um, you know they're not designed uh, by safety standards. They're not designed to be used more than once. Actually, so if you see uh, uh, you know the labeling on that um, bottle, they always say dispose after use and usually crush so that it cannot be reused. Right. So that's the labeling and that's the intent. Um, uh, behind this, within consumer, uh, within packaging, we are seeing that there are several problematic kinds of um, plastics as well. And I'd really like to draw attention specifically to sachets because Asia is just sort of uh, flooded with sachets uh, by companies like uh, Unilever and Nestle, but also Pepsi, which has uh, Pepsi and Coca Cola, uh, IGC, Haldiram. Um, and, and there are brand audits that we have been uh, doing, a whole bunch of civil society groups have been doing to draw attention to the problem of uh, multi-layered packaging, very specifically, as an extremely unmanageable form of packaging, right? Now, the problem with multi-layered packaging is that it is multiple layers of materials, not just the uh, plastic, but it's also got a, a very thin aluminum uh, foil and it's got adhesives, Um Plus, you know, it's got a whole bunch of colorants uh, on it. And this is basically an entirely uh, branding exercise, right? Uh, this is uh, for companies to actually have a free, uh, uh, you know, marketing where you can immediately see their brand. Uh, however, um, this is, uh, you know, the worst kind of uh, packaging because it's very lightweight. It's designed to be used and throw. And really, one cannot do anything about it. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, Asia in particular has got this huge uh, number of uh, sachets flooding everywhere. Is is this like a bigger problem in Asia than in other other continents? A sachet? Uh, in Asia, primarily, uh, because uh, one is, of course, uh, you know, we have uh, many of our countries have large populations um, and we have huge markets. Uh, so many of these consumer uh, fast moving consumer goods companies have found it. Um, uh, you know, uh, they, they prioritized these markets. The same products, uh, whether they're shampoos, you know, Dove soap or Dove shampoo, if you look in the US or in the UK or Europe, they always come in um, HDP, you know, rigid plastic bottles. Um, so, and, and of course, there is a little bit more um, sort of innovation that they're trying to do around refill systems in Europe, for example. In Asia, however, they have chosen to market the same products in sachets. And this is now taking place in Europe and, uh, sorry, in Africa as well as uh, South America. Those markets are smaller than Asian markets. And so we are seeing that this is actually a, a huge problem for Asia. Uh, I also wanted to just sort of, um, uh, you know, draw attention to this whole narrative uh, that many of these fast-moving consumer goods companies have spun that Asians and Asian countries have contributed to ocean plastic the most. Um, you know, so they've named China, India, Indonesia, Philippines as the biggest contributors to ocean plastic. And uh, what we're actually seeing is that many of these companies are intentionally using uh, packaging designs or formats and delivery systems that actually contribute to this. But not only these companies, but 
we are what we are seeing is many of these countries have been exporting their waste, their consumer waste, their municipal waste to our countries uh, under the guise of being recycled. And as we know, this this material cannot be recycled. Uh, you know, it's just fortunate that we have um, civil society groups that are, uh, you know, conducting exposés and alerting authorities to... Does India import uh, this kind of uh, plastic waste from the West? Well, uh, there is evidence to show that this waste is coming in. Um, uh, unfortunately, it's hard to track because there are Basel uh, Convention norms that prohibit municipal waste from getting trans- uh, transported um, to our countries. However, um, you know, there have been some exposés where people have installed GPS uh, trackers in some of their waste. And those trackers have alerted us to waste leaving the shores of US or Europe and making the way to one of the one expose was that it made the, made its way to uh, Indonesia, where uh, alert authorities were able to repatriate that waste. And some of those ships actually docked in India and they have made their way by road from uh, I, I believe it was Gujarat, a port in Gujarat to uh, Uttar Pradesh which is where then the tracker disappears. Okay, okay. Yeah, so 36% uh, of this waste coming from the packaging sector, 15% from textiles, 16 from building and construction, and, and almost 10% from consumer goods. I mean, this is like uh, like a huge... Uh, a huge number of very very critical industries uh, contributing to placed plastic waste. And I was just wondering, like, uh, one final uh, take from you on what is the way forward? Because, you know, uh, is there a way to sort of reduce the production of plastic waste by altering the way uh, these industries function? Like, how are you going to, you know, uh, overnight come up with alternatives to plastic insulation, you know? So has there been any thinking globally in terms of a roadmap, uh, timeline, in terms of what kind of solutions, because we also have this entire climate change thing hanging over us and the importance of reducing carbon emissions. So how do we tackle this entire uh, plastic waste uh, menace? Any any thoughts on that going forward? Um, it's actually absolutely possible that we can transition uh, from a fast, uh, you know, from a fossil fuel based economy, of course, but also a plastic uh, based economy. Uh, there are ongoing negotiations um, for a global plastic treaty which would be an international legally binding instrument to deal with all kinds of plastic pollution. Um, one of the top priorities would be for plastic production reduction, which, is, which basically means that we need to reduce the plastic polymers that we're creating. Um, at the same time, we need to prioritize reuse uh, systems, which means that we um, you know, set up, design our products, our packaging, as well as delivery systems to be reusable. And this needs to come from the producers and uh, brand owners. Reuse is not a a consumer-oriented or the owners should not lie on consumers. Rather, it should be on producers. The third priority really needs to be about regulating chemicals of concern. Like I said, there are about 16,000 chemicals and uh, only 128 of these are globally regulated which means that you know we have a whole bunch of other chemicals that uh, many of which are hazardous uh, but are not regulated so we need to um, you know uh, regulate these and associated with this i think is the need for transparency of course um one more critical uh, priority for um, you know treaty negotiations would be to identify and eliminate 
highly problematic, unnecessary and avoidable plastic products and materials. Um, so, of course, PVC and polystyrene would be, uh, you know, the top two, I would suggest. But also uh, sachets and other flexibles are, um, uh, you know, plastic products that we can uh, eliminate. Uh, there are, I think, uh, several... Uh, you know, like if if you were to eliminate PVC and sachets, for example, you know, as as completely you know uh, dangerous and so on, what could be the alternatives? Because you spoke about the the critical use of PVC pipes and sachets is what is like the primary uh, source of revenue for this Unilever kind of companies. So what are the alternatives? Like has there been talk any talk on that? Um, I think uh, there is uh, research that exists on alternatives to PVC. So for example, PVC pipes um, in the US, uh, the uh, Environment Protection Agency, US EPA, is now seriously considering the uh, enormous uh, health and environmental impacts of PVC and PVC pipes. Um, and uh, while some of this standard setting, etc., is going on, there are environmental groups that are talking about alternatives like um, uh, steel or galvanized iron or, uh, sorry, galvanized steel and um, cast iron, um, uh, copper pipes, etc., right? These are much more stable materials and uh, there's much more research done on the environmental and health impacts. So those things exist. I think you also mentioned, uh, for example, insulation. Um, very interestingly, um, I was, I've been speaking with uh, somebody who works with pastoralist communities in India. Uh, India alone has 75 million sheep. And the sheep has a shark staple, you know, the wool is of shark staple. And it is uh, very much amenable to making insulation. It's ex- excellent for making thermal and acoustic insulation. It can be used for some kinds of packaging. It can uh, replace plastic mulch sheets because, you know, it's natural, it's biodegradable, it retains moisture. Um, You know, so those things exist. The reason why um, we don't use it is that we have subsidies that are artificially uh, making plastics cheap and petrochemical-based plastics cheap, right? Alternatives already exist. Uh, We have a culture of reuse in India across Asia. Um, we just don't have policies that prevent, uh, you know, for example, restaurants, if they choose reuse, if I took my tiffin tabba to a restaurant, what is the liability that they would ex- that they can expect? They don't have policy. The absence of policy prohibits uh, the, the shift to reuse. So we really need reuse. We need standards. Just as we have several, several standards for plastic and plastic regulation, I think encouraging uh, reuse would require investment, would require a policy or a regulatory regime. And we definitely require independent uh, and indigenous science and knowledge. Right. Thank you so much, Satyarupa, for uh, that optimistic <laughs> note at the end of a very uh, concerning uh, discussion. I mean, I think it's, it's encouraging to note that uh, the Global Plastics Treaty is underway and uh, there is talk of reducing plastic pollution uh, sort of coming forth with policy uh, changes to increase uh, reuse and hopefully we will see uh, changes uh, of this kind coming in more and more so that uh, we are able to tackle the big issue of climate change as well and not just uh, plastic pollution which is also a major issue in its own right. Thank you so much uh, once again for talking to us. It's been a very informative uh, conversation uh, for me particularly and I'm sure for uh, listeners as well. Uh, absolute pleasure talking to you, Satyarup. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Sambat. Thank you very much. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.